Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion championship team. Hey everybody, welcome into another Pipeline podcast. Tim McMaster here along with MLB Pipelines, Jonathan Mayo and Jim Callis. Spring training continuing, guys. We're going to hear from some prospects in both the Cactus League and the Grapefruit League on the podcast this week. And then at the end of the podcast, we're going to talk about some new minor league rules uh, and Jim Callis has already taken to Twitter to disapprove of them, so we'll get his take on runners on second base in extra innings. We've heard it before, but new fresh take as it takes over the entire minor leagues here in 2018. And, Jonathan, you can get uh, your rebuttal in as well. I think you guys agree. I just think Jim's a little more uh, adamant in his feelings about it. But uh, <laughs> we'll get to that. But first I want to talk about an article that you had out, Jim, um, I guess in your mailbag where you talked about double play combinations. Somebody asked you if Fernando Tatis Jr. and Luis Urias are the best double play combination in the minor leagues. Didn't take you long to, uh, it seemed like a, a quick and obvious, yes, they are absolutely the best. So then you went on to, to list off your, your seven best. You stopped at seven. Didn't stop at five, didn't go to ten, but seven. But I just want to start with Tatis <laughs> Jr. and Urias. Um, they are a special group. Eventually we're going to see them in San Diego, but um, pretty cool that, that they get to play together a little bit this spring. Right, and they're both, I mean, it, it was a, a fairly easy yes to a, answering whether they were the two best. That was what the question was phrased, because I think they're both number two in our positional rankings at, at their respective positions. And I mean, we've talked about these guys a lot. I mean, Urias, I think, is on the very short list of the very best hitters in the minor leagues, and I think... He's such a good hitter. I actually think the rest of his game is a little underappreciated. I, I think he could probably get the job done at shortstop. He, he'll, he'll be better at second base and I think be an above-average defender there. And while he's not a power hitter, uh, I, I was actually teasing him a little bit at the rookie program. And he, like if people, listeners remember, he was one of my favorite interviews at the rookie program, not so much for what he said on camera, but just because we spent – we had like a, a backlog of guys we were interviewing, so I wound up talking to him for 15 minutes just about various prospects in the Padres system and his loaded Arizona Fall League team. But, I, but one thing I did give him a hard time about was like you know, everybody says you're not a power hitter, but I mean there you are hitting a ball like 400 feet to center field in uh, in the Fall Stars game. So uh, he's pretty special. And, and after I, all those nice things I said about him, Tatis is an even better prospect. I mean he got to Double A at age 18. I think he's got a better chance to stay at shortstop than Urias. Um, he's a 2020 guy, pretty special guy in his own right. So uh, it'll be fun, and I think those guys will get there. 
I think we'll see Arias in San Diego probably by the end of the year, unless service time considerations preclude it. But I don't think he needs much more time. And and Tatis, you know, might make it to the big leagues as a teenager and, and almost certainly as a 20-year-old. Jonathan, uh, number two as far as double play combinations, according to Jim, I think you probably agree on this, but uh, Scott Kingery and J.P. Crawford with the Phillies, um, two guys that we're definitely going to see in 2018. Just talk about them and how far behind Tatis Jr. and Urias do you think they are? Um, I would say like a full step. Um, and and it may only be because I think it's still a little unclear what JP Crawford's offensive profile is going to be. Uh, defensively, he's going to be fantastic. I think, uh, you know, I know he's had his ups and downs, but he's going to be a very solid defensive shortstop at the big league level. Uh, the, the plate discipline has always been there. I think last year, you know, he started off really slowly. He was just trying to do way too much. And once he kind of just got back to who he was, the second half is a little more indicative of, I think, the kind of hitter he could be. And he's still immensely young. And then uh, Kingery, of course, sort of just burst on the scene. Uh, always knew he was a, a good hitter, uh, you know, college performer type with speed. And then the power showed up. And it wasn't just because he was hitting in Reading. Um, 20, another 2020 guy. Um, and now so his offensive profile is actually better than Crawford's. Uh, and, yes, uh, you're going to see them together in the big leagues before Urias and Tatis in, in, in all likelihood. I mean, yeah, Crawford should be the starting shortstop for the Phillies, and uh, I don't think it should take Kingery very long to get to the big leagues. Uh, you know, I'd be tempted just to roll out of camp with him, but uh, given their recent moves, uh, signed Jake Arrieta, uh, you know, maybe they feel that they're better off with a uh, more veteran presence there if they're going to try to compete. But, uh, you know, uh, exciting times in the National League for, for both sets. But in terms of pure upside, Tatis and Urias, I think, are, you know, a, a full grade ahead, whatever grades we're using. <laughs> All right, rounding out the top seven, the Twins, Nick Gordon and Royce Lewis, Oakland, Franklin Barreto and Jorge Mateo, the Blue Jays, Bo Bichette and Logan Warmoth, the Yankees, Gleyber Torres, and Thyro Estrada, and then finally the Rockies with Brandon Rogers and Garrett Hampson. Um, not all those guys may stay at those positions, but as of now, those are some great double play combinations in the minor leagues. All right, um, Jonathan, you were in the Cactus League, and Mike Rosenbaum was in Florida a little bit as well, and you guys recorded some of your conversations. We did this game a little bit last week, so we'll do some more. Um, they sound from four different players. We're going to start with yours, Jonathan, down in Arizona. Uh, Chris Rodriguez, right-handed pitcher for the Angels, number, prospect, number six prospect in a system that is certainly improving. Um, let's hear from him. He talked about that a little bit. Talked about trusting the process a little bit as well. Let's hear from Chris Rodriguez. The way I like to look at things is everything happens for a reason, you know. So, I just like what I said, you know, just got to keep going, get stronger, you know, trust the plan, you know, trust that they got my back. They're they um, they're just looking out for me, so just gotta listen to them. Everything I've heard about you is that you're ridiculously competitive. Mm-hmm. So sometimes your results were just okay, mm-hmm. but you were off a lot of boxes developmentally. I mean, did you have to remind yourself of that if, say, you know, the ERA was elevated or you, you gave up a few more runs than you would like? You know, yeah, I mean, it was a lot of ups and downs, you know, a lot of them. But at the end of the day, you know, it's a mental game. So I knew that, you know, not everybody has a perfect outing every time. So the biggest thing is just to, I knew, just get back on the mound the next day. You know, it's in the past and just 
worry about the now, not the future, not the present. Just worry about the now. When, when you say in terms of trusting your stuff, I mean, what are the things stuff-wise that you need to continue to, to refine and work on as you as you move up? Um, I'd have to say more just my command, you know, when to use when to use my pitches and stuff like that. As of now, I think my pitches are in a good place. You know, I think I have pretty good stuff, but, you know, just the timing of using them, you know, I got good coaching staff here that's kind of teaching me the ways and stuff like that. So, All right, good stuff from Chris. Jonathan, what stood out to you from talking to Rodriguez? Uh, more than anything, his, his maturity. I mean, he was dealing he's dealing dealing currently with uh, a stress reaction in his back, and so that slowed him down from the throwing standpoint. He was doing like pretty much everything else. He's still in the weight room. Um, this is a guy who loves to compete. Everyone I've talked to about him is a plus plus competitor, and I'm sure that he was really looking forward to, you know, going somewhere on opening day and full season ball. But I think the the silver lining is that they were going to monitor his innings. He's not done a full season yet. It's not like he was going to go out and throw 140 innings right out of the gate. Um, so if they were going to monitor him and keep him to around 100, say, uh, you know, this way they can start him off and extend it and then send him out a little bit late, and then he can finish the year. And, you know, if it's a playoff team, he can experience playoff baseball uh, and that sort of thing. Uh, the stuff is really, really good. Uh, the result, if you look at his numbers, you're like, why, why are you so excited about him? They've not been great, uh, but the peripherals have been pretty good. And he's got a three-pitch mix, and he goes right after hitters. Uh, the Angels are really, really high on him. He's one of those sort of group of young arms that are, are just hitting the lower levels that make that system uh, much more interesting than it has been in, in recent memory. Yeah, I was going to say to Jim, how improved is this system? Because there was a couple of years ago where you looked at it and and there was really nothing. Maybe one guy that was interesting. A couple of a couple of guys you could see being factors soon. How about now? How much has it? How far has it come? Uh, it's come a long way. I mean, I think after when they made the Anderson Simmons trade and they they traded Sean Newcomb, they didn't have a top 100 prospect until they they signed Shohei Otani and Kevin Maiton uh, this off season. Uh, and then Joe Adele jumped in when we redid our list. Jemai Jones is, uh, you know, right there uh, as well toward the end of the list also. But, no, I mean, I think they're more middle of the pack, which is a significant step because, I mean, they were either the worst farm system in baseball, not that we we, we rank them all the way down from 1 to 30, but they were either the worst farm system in baseball or, or definitely in the discussion for about three or four years in a row. And that that's something that's hard to turn around overnight. But, you know, they, they've had some good drafts. Um, they, you know, the two big international free agent signings with Otani and Kevin Maiton uh, this off season. Uh, so, uh, you know, very, very improved farm system. And like Jonathan, I mean, I, you just look at, his, at the list. You know, Jonathan does this list for us. I mean, Matt Feist was their first round pick in 2016 and one of the best pure hitters in that draft. And he's only number nine on their top prospect list. And, I mean, Jonathan, you can speak to this. I mean, for, for a number of years there, it was almost like an automatic. If you were the Angels' nope. first-round pick, you were probably going to be number one on their next prospect list just because the system was so thin. Right, and he's not number nine solely because, like, he wasn't good. I mean, he had it just a so-so first whole season, but he did make it to double-A to and kind of did what he does. Um, it's more that there are more interesting guys ahead of them. Um, you know, he may be a more sure thing to – to make it to the big leagues because of his approach, but the guys in front of him, I mean, they're just tremendous ceiling. It's fun, and uh, you know, I hope it works because it makes it 
a lot more interesting to write up their their top 30 than if these guys stall out as they start reaching more advanced levels. But, you know, Joe Adele and John Mai Jones and Brandon Marsh are three of the most sort of high upside outfielders that you're going to find in any organization. Jonathan, when you were at Brewers camp, you sat down with uh, infield prospect, number 11 prospect for the Brewers, Mauricio Dubon. He was a uh, fascinating interview listening to the whole thing. We're going to hear a little bit of a cut about just his pride in being a, uh, a pro baseball player from Honduras and the impact that that's having on baseball in Honduras. Have you noticed, you know, that back in Honduras, the interest in baseball has has risen? Oh yeah, oh yeah. That's the fun. That's the crazy thing. Before I got to the states, there was not many like you know like baseball players and everything. Now you got kids going to colleges. I have a kid now that he practiced with me since he was 11 years old. That we prepare him for him to come to the states and do the same thing I did. Since 11 years, he's 16 now. He's doing the same thing I did. He's going to my same high school, same with the whole family and everything. He just he's gonna be a good one too. I mean, since 11 years old, we molded him like how we wanted. And like, there's many guys. Like, there's guys in colleges now. Like, it's just it's just crazy that how influential it can be to those guys. So there's now a a. Dubon pipeline from Honduras to yes. Northern California. Yeah, that's the crazy thing. And and I mean, there's like, there's two guys in Northern California right now that that we practice together and everything. They're younger, and uh, hopefully they they will hit chance and everything. So I would imagine. I mean, not only do I know that you take a lot of pride in being the first like person who really was raised in Honduras, yeah. but the I would imagine that more important is that legacy that you can bring with you. So you're not the last. This yes. isn't like a strength. Wow, how about this guy from Honduras and then you never hear from the yeah, country again? Yeah, no, no, no. That's that's the main goal right now. Try to you know, try to put Honduras on the map and try to see like the kids, they can see that it's not impossible. Like I can't, I I was raised the same way they were raised. I was I play in the same fields they were they were playing and just trying to, for them to see that it's it's possible to achieve that dream and everything. And the same baseball I played was when I was in Honduras, that's the same baseball I play right now. And just try to you know, try to try to be more 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 influential to those guys there was more to the interview than that though jonathan obviously that that stood out i think um that connection to his country and, and people from there but this is a good player coming up through the brewer system yeah he's an interesting player you know i'm not uh, one of the things that uh, we often try to do when, when our during our spring training coverage is you know, we're not necessarily going after the the number one prospect or the number two prospect um you know we want guys who have interesting stories to tell. Uh, Dubon, we, we had talked to some at the Futures game, and uh, you know he's very articulate, uh, obviously bilingual, because uh, he went to high school in, in the states. Uh, and, and the Honduras angle is interesting, but he's also you know close to impacting uh, the big league team, and the, the the Brewers are clearly trying to to make a run. You know. With, after obtaining Christian Yelich, they're, they're hoping to be competitive. And uh, his ability to move around and his willingness to just do whatever is asked of him, I think will serve him well, especially as he tries to break into the big leagues. Before we move on to Florida and Mike Rosenbaum's interviews, we want to take a second to tell you about Yahoo Fantasy Baseball. Spring training is in full swing, which means it's time to think about your fantasy drafts. Yahoo Fantasy Baseball has been rated number one by the Fantasy Sports Trade Association five years in a row. And one reason why is the Yahoo Fantasy app 
The app will help you get the expert advice and analysis you need to make moves like a big league GM and crush your league. You'll be able to draft, trade, and manage your team right from your phone. Sign up by downloading the Yahoo Fantasy app or going to yahoo.com backslash fantasy baseball. Yahoo Fantasy Baseball, the official fantasy baseball game of Major League Baseball. And the first interview we have from Mike Rosenbaum, he was at Tigers camp. He caught up with Alex Fiedo, um, the top, obviously their pick from last June. Um, Fayota talked a little bit about coming up big for the University of Florida in the College World Series and also about this spring and his experiences with getting a chance to pitch uh, in a big league spring training game. Here's Alex Fayeto. You obviously want to do great every game, yeah. but I think you know your teammates would definitely you know respect when you can step up you know, in big games. You know, those are the games that your teammate and you want your teammates to step up in because those are the games you want to win. Mm-hmm. And for me to be able to do that, you know, was just, you know, happy just, you know, just so we can all experience the win, you know. Yeah. Uh, a lot of guys stepped up. I mean, Brady had to face Louisville and LSU were probably the two best lineups in right. Omaha. Well, Oregon State too, but that we had to play. And he he pitched phenomenal. Tyler Dyson wasn't even a starter of the year. Mm-hmm. He pitched the last game, and he stepped up probably more than anyone to be out there in that kind of uh, environment. And, yeah, it was, uh, it was fun to watch. Flash forward to this spring, you know, having not thrown a pro inning, you get a big league camp invite and you get on the mound there and you impress a lot of people. What has that whole experience been like for you? Does it give you a taste of how, how close you are to the big leagues? Uh, no, not really. I mean, I think it was awesome that, you know, I got to go throw in big league camp just because that's, you know, a very special accomplishment. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, I know there's a lot more work that needs to be put in. Mm-hmm. I think just going back out there was fun again. You know, it wasn't, uh, I wasn't stressed about it. Uh, it didn't feel any different. It wasn't like a surreal feeling. It was kind of like, you know, just Business back to baseball. Yeah. yeah. The only thing weird was that I had to warm up in the pen. Which <laughs> I'm used to having that full day, you know, like stretching, you know, your getting routine. your arm right. Yeah, yeah, your routine. And I guess that was that was the only thing that felt weird. I was like, man, this isn't this doesn't feel right. Yeah. But besides that, you no, know, throwing, there was a lot of fans there. It was a, my, a lot of family and friends were there. Mm-hmm. So it was awesome just to be able to throw. And, you know, finally, like, it's been a long time for my family to see me throw again. And yeah. that just made everyone happy. And Jim, um, I know you're always at the College World Series, and Florida was huge. Fajardo gave a lot of credit to his teammates uh, as well, but he pitched there, obviously, and then didn't really do anything last year after that because they they let him rest up. Um, But it seems like he's going to be on a fast track, no? Yeah, I think he is. I mean, this is a guy, again, people who listen to podcasts know when we were talking about him at the outset of last year as a potential number one overall pick. And he'd had off-season arthroscopic surgery on both knees, and I think that set him back a little bit from his normal progression at Florida, and so his velocity was not as good early in the year. And we talk about this all the time. The guys who are the top-rated prospects are under such a huge microscope, and I just think a lot of people talk themselves out of Alex Fajardo. And then at the College World Series, you saw the Alex Fajardo, and before that too, but especially the College World Series where he was the most outstanding player and, and beat a very good TCU team twice. And if I remember correctly, didn't give up a run in either start. I mean, TCU probably had a better team than Florida, but they couldn't solve Alex Fajardo, and he beat him twice and knocked him out of, out of the College World Series. But, I mean, you saw the Alex Fajardo who was, you know, sitting, you know, 92, 95 miles an hour with – He's got, you know, I mean, this is a guy who was on some loaded pitching staffs in Florida, and, you know, including on pitching staffs with Brady Singer, who could be the number one pick this year, and A.J. Puck, who, you know, is right up there with any lefty in the minor leagues right now. And A.J. Puck, you know, has a great slider. And if you talk to Florida's coach, Kevin O'Sullivan, he'll tell you that Alex Fido has the best slider of anybody's ever coached. And when he told me that last year, I said, even A.J. Puck? And he said, yeah, it's, uh, it's more consistent. So, 
Um, you know, I think he is going to move real fast, and I think that's going to be one. I understand, you know, when you're picking a guy high and there was, you know, his velocity was down, how guys slide. But I do think, you know, a couple years from now, you know, people are going to be wondering how this guy last 18 picks in the draft. Because if you could redo the draft now or if you could have redone the draft after the College World Series, I bet the guy, you know, is definitely top 10 pick and maybe even top five. All right, moving on to the Phillies, and uh, Mike caught up with JoJo Romero with the Phillies. He actually talked a little bit about the nickname JoJo and where that came from. We're not going to hear about that, but you might want to read about it from Mike uh, on Pipeline. We're going to hear about the fact that uh, it was a tough college, after a tough college season, he got things going last year as part of a great staff, both Lakewood and Clearwater. He talks about being part of a special minor league system with the Phillies. You know, the biggest thing for me was I was just trying to, you know, work on developing myself you know as a pitcher mm-hmm. you know in the professional standpoint um my first year you know obviously it was a uh, you know the half year because yeah, coming out yeah. of college so probably tired i, of I had a lot i think i finished with almost 160 innings yeah. between bowls so a little bit of fatigue but um you know this first year i really want to you know, work on my craft and which is you know getting a lot of ground ball outs mm-hmm. which you know i succeeded on doing yeah but uh i think me just kind of you know focusing on you know what i do best and trying to uh, perfect that craft mm-hmm. I think is what you know led to that overall success and what was the environment and competition like on those pretty sick uh, um, Lakewood and Clearwater rotations oh man you know it was great we have uh, you know Ranger Suarez who yeah. you know t- did exceptional in you know Lakewood um, seems like a fun guy too. yeah just oh, he's, around over yeah, there. He's, <laughs> he's a big ball of energy yeah. I mean you see him out here right now dude yeah he's having, running and he was having as much fun around. with that as possible yeah but um we, we all push each other by yeah. the continuous success that we all had. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the biggest thing on why this uh, minor league organization is so successful. Because we have so many young, so much young talent that does very well. Mm-hmm. And just a constant you know, competitive drive amongst, amongst ourselves. And uh, Jonathan, we've talked a lot about position players with the Phillies coming up through this system. Obviously, earlier in this podcast with Kingery and Crawford, um, they have some young pitching as well, both in the big leagues now, but then it seems like there's another wave on the way, and, and Romero's part of that. Oh, he, he definitely is, and his stuff has ticked up. I mean, he was a junior college star, uh, had an unbelievable uh, start as Yavapai went on to win the junior college World Series. Or, you know, everyone, of course, cringed because they threw you know, 140 pitchers or something like that. And then went out and threw like 45 more innings in, in short season ball. And the, even though he's kind of a little undersized, he's, he's very athletic and he's strong and he's clearly durable. 129 innings last year. The stuff all ticked up uh, pretty much across the board. And we're talking about a guy who throws um, five pitches. It's really four legitimate, but we're talking fastball, slider, curve, cutter, and changeup. And the cutter and changeup are above average. The fastball is plus because of the movement. He throws strikes. I mean, he has all the makings of a, of a middle of the rotation, maybe like a number three starter. And you mentioned the, the pitchers that they have. I mean, Sixto Sanchez obviously has jumped to the top of their list. Adonis Medina is another exciting guy. Uh, in their system. I know Mike actually got to see throw and was really impressed by him. Uh, Jojo Romero, Franklin Kilame has kind of been forgotten, but he's still really young and approaching the upper levels in the six foot six. Uh, and Ranger Suarez is another lefty uh, who, who's 
made a nice jump after the year he had last year. So there's there's some really interesting pitching and young pitching, young for their level, uh, in this system moving relatively quickly. I think Romero is going to be a, a guy who continues to progress quickly through that system. Before we get to minor league rule changes, I want to get your guys' thoughts as we kind of have reached the point in spring training where uh, the majority of prospects have headed down to minor league camp, except for the ones that really have a chance of breaking uh, camp with the club. So I want guys who have stood out to you, and I don't necessarily mean that Ronald Acuna had a great spring. What a big surprise. Uh, Maybe other guys. Jim, I'll start with you. Uh, A hitter and a pitcher that's kind of surprised you this spring or really jumped out at you. I guess I'd say more jumped out because I've liked these guys in the past, and I'm even going to go off the the prospect path a little bit and name a couple of guys who no longer qualify as official prospects, but they're certainly not uh, established big leaguers by any means. You know, the the hitter, I'd say Blake Swihart with the Red Sox is having good spring. He's playing a variety of positions, trying to win kind of a, a utility role, and He's pretty much capable of playing just about anywhere on the diamond. I mean, he he used to be one of baseball's best catching prospects. I, I wrote and said many times that while I didn't necessarily say he was going to become this guy, I thought his tools were reminiscent of Buster Posey's at the same age as an athletic catcher with a lot of uh, offensive potential as well and kind of learning behind the plate but a lot of defensive upside. Uh, I still think in an alternate universe somewhere uh, – Blake Swihart probably doesn't get hurt, and he has a, a better development path, and he's a starting catcher somewhere. But it, it's interesting. Uh, you know, I think I'll put it this way: if he doesn't make the Red Sox, I'm sure there's a lot of teams that would be interested in trading for him because I, I, I still think he's got the ability to be a catcher in there. Um, and if he's not a catcher, I think he could be extremely valuable as a type of guy who could give you, you know, you, you could give 400, 500 at-bats and just play literally anywhere in the diamond you need him on a given day. And then on the pitching standpoint, a guy who's having a good spring who I think gets forgotten about a little bit just because his team is loaded right now and he no longer qualifies as a prospect is Francis Martez of the Astros. And I want to say without looking it up that he ranked about number 20th on our top 100 prospects list a year ago at this time. Um, and he wound up coming up and pitching enough, mostly in the bullpen, to, to where he, he has enough innings and, and service time to where he does qualify as a prospect. But this is a guy who, who's got a really nasty fastball-curveball combination who's thrown strikes. Um, the stuff gets compared to Lance McCullers Jr. a little bit. I think especially given the, the August trade for Justin Verlander and the offseason trade for Garrett Cole, there, there's clearly not a spot, at least in the opening day rotation, for Francis Martez. But I think he, he would be in the rotation for a lot of teams. And I think he can be very valuable kind of apprenticing as a, a multi-inning relief weapon uh, until a spot opens up for him in the rotation in a year or two or, or, or sooner if injuries strike. And, and, and to be honest, I think, you know, maybe I'm just biased from growing up in the, in the D.C. area when we didn't have a team in D.C., but the closest team was the Orioles. And it seemed like the Earl Weaver Orioles had a lot of success of breaking guys in as kind of that multi-inning reliever for a year or two and then, and then you know, having them become a starter. It just seemed like the guys stayed healthier. Uh, you know, it was less innings and maybe less stress kind of, you know, getting acclimated to the big league. So I, I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if a couple of years from now, Francis Martez is a real factor in the rotation for the Astros. All right, Jonathan, hitter and a pitcher. Um, I am going to go with our good friend Dan Vogelbach, uh, the Seattle Mariners. Um, I, I was in Mariners camp and uh, talked uh, to Andy McKay, the farm director, about him and 
uh, how actually on the defensive side, uh, it's always been a struggle uh, for for him, both from a conditioning standpoint and just defensive ability. He was moving around the bag much better than they'd ever seen him. Um, so that's promising. And he's hit. I mean, he, he's kind of always hit, but 433 with a 564 on base and 800 slugging a couple homers uh, in his 12 games. And and they have a need at first base. I mean, they got Ryan Healy, but he's hurt. Uh, I'm not sure when he'll be, you know, ready. Uh, you know, they they do have, uh, you know, some some other possibilities. I mean, Mike Ford is a Rule Five pick, but I, I don't think that he's going to stick. So I think Vogelbach has an opportunity. Uh, unfortunately, Nelson Cruz is there, so he's not going to get to 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 DH. Um, so that's where I go from a. Uh, from a hitting standpoint, from a pitching standpoint, I'm going to go with Fernando Romero of the Twins, who just got sent down um, because evidently they didn't like he gave, that he gave up one walk. Because I think that may have been the only base runner he gave up in eight innings, no hits, one walk, eight strikeouts, sent them down. Now, clearly, um, he was not in their plans to uh, to be in the in the rotation at a spring training, but uh, I mean the stuff is. Is really good. He's number two on the on the Twins list. He's number sixty eight on our top one hundred. Um, you know, everything kind of worked last year. He was in Double A last year, so and he ran out of gas and had the little minor shoulder problem. So I think you know they're daring on the side of caution. I do think you're going to see him at some point impacting that Twins rotation in, in twenty eighteen, and he certainly made a very lasting impression uh, with his showing in Grapefruit League action this spring. All right. Finally, I want to get to the minor league rule changes, and there's a lot of them here. They're all uh, a part of the plan to quicken games and and get games over with quicker. There'll be a 15-second pitch timer. A lot of the rules also change depending on what level of the minor leagues there are. Pitching mound visits change depending on what level. Triple A, six per team. They go to eight to ten depending on what level you're at. I think the 15-second pitch timer is, is a big deal as well when nobody's on base. But I think the one that's stealing headlines and is having a big impact on Twitter as well and that uh, Jim has ranted a little bit about before, that's what I want to talk about, and that is extra innings starting with a runner on second base. Now, they did this at the very low levels a year ago, and now it's going to be all of minor league baseball. Jim, I know you don't like it, but what's the real, what's your biggest problem with starting extra innings with a runner on second base? I just think it's a gimmick, and I don't, I even laugh that this is included under pace of play. I mean, you know, part of, and I'm not one of these old timers who, you know, baseball has no clock and it ends when it ends. That's fine, but like, you know, you know, baseball tries to sell that appeal too, and so I don't know. Like, if we're doing pace of play by shortening extra inning games, okay, what percentage of games go to extra innings, and what percentage of games last more than 11 innings? Not many. You know, and you know, if you're if if you're selling this as a developmental thing, oh, we're worrying about stressing the minor league arms. Well, well, if that's the case. Why not just do what they do and what they used to do in the fall league before they adopted this horrible rule there as well? And if the game's tied after 11 innings, tied after 11 innings, I just don't like it. I don't like, I, you know, I'll admit as a hockey fan, I do enjoy the four-on-four action in overtime, which is a little gimmicky, and then you have a shot. I don't mind that in the regular season. But when you get to games that matter in the postseason, they play sudden death. I hate watching soccer 
uh, you know, de- decided by shootouts. As, as, as enthralling as the, the women's gold medal game was in hockey at the Olympics this year, and, you know, you, you saw, you know, the, the bet probably about as good a move as you'll ever see uh, in the shootout to win it for the U.S., uh, it, it's a terrible way to decide a game when two teams are that evenly matched and have that hard-fought a game uh, to do that. Now, okay, we're talking about minor league games, and they don't have the same level of importance. And to be honest, I mean, the minor league teams would not say this because they're trying to sell you know games and experience. But from a major league standpoint, it's all about development. You know, the, the outcomes don't matter. Well, if that's the case or you're worried about using too many pitchers or taxing pitchers, go ahead and just call the game after 11 innings. That's fine. But this is put, you know, the gimmick. I mean, why not just put the ball on the tee? Well, you know, why not, you know, you know, I don't know. It's just it's such a gimmicky, non-baseball way to settle a game. I hate it. And, and, and what alarms me is – I just have a bad – like, if we ever see this at the major league level, it'll just be an outrage. Because I know I'll say this. If I were a fan and I paid what major league teams charge for major league tickets and I had a game decided by that, I'd be outraged. And I, and I just – you know, you don't need it at the major league level. Teams are already carrying – most teams are carrying 13 pitchers. You should have enough pitching depth to cover it. I know we're in this age of specialization where you have all these relievers who face one or two batters. But I, I just don't see – you know, in terms of pace of play – how extra inning games are a big part of the problem. Uh, you know, what about the, you know, whatever percentage, and I, and I don't even know what the percentage is, let's say 90% of games, or it's probably maybe more than that, but don't go to extra innings. You're not really addressing that with this. I, I just think it's a very gimmicky rule. I hate it. You know I hate it, Tim. You, you wisely saved this question for the end of the podcast, so I didn't uh, rant for 30 minutes. But it, it just it's, I, I would hate to see any kind of meaningful game decided you know, by this rule, and I, I have a, a sneaking suspicion we might be headed that way. I, I, I would hope the union would never agree to something like this because it's, it's just awful. You know, um, I'm coming around on it. I think I like the idea. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just, I'm just kidding. I thought I wanted to, I to play devil's advocate. Um, you know, I don't think I can be as as vehement or adamant as Jim just was. So I'm just going to leave it like that. You know, uh, if they're going to do that, why don't we just start putting like targets on, on the outfield wall? If you hit the target, well, hitting challenge. Extra there you go. Yeah, we'll, we'll do the hitting challenge to to uh, to win the whole kit and caboodle. Just do a home run derby at the end. That would be fun. Plus, um, we're going to so, see a bunch of garbage too. Where I think the default. Yeah, we'll see how it plays out. But you start the inning where there aren't second. You're going to have your first guy bunt. Then the other team's going to intentionally walk the next guy. I mean, why don't we just call it first and third with one out? Or, uh, you know, why don't we just make the bases loaded to make sure somebody scores and and make it a three-ball count on the batter? I mean, this is just awful. All right. I got got nothing else. Fair enough. I would actually just say, Jim, you said uh, call it a tie after 11 innings. I would argue call it a tie after 10 innings. The reason I say that is you're you're selling the experience to fans, but for anybody that's gone to a lot of minor league baseball games, there's not many fans left in that 10th inning. I'm going to be honest, definitely not during the week, maybe on a Friday night, but you come to the 10th inning and much of the crowd is gone and then it goes down from there. The fans are there with their kids at these minor league games. They have some hot dogs early on. They enjoy themselves and then they're out of there. They're not really hanging on to see who wins necessarily. So give them one extra inning and then call it a tie. That's my well, call. That's fine. Like I said, I, I just would much rather have declare whatever the you know maybe it should be 12 innings whatever but you know you know if you whatever if, if the games you know don't mean you know we're not talking about major league games or playoff games 
just determine how many innings you want to play, and it's a tie at that point if you get that far. But, like, this thing is just so gimmicky. And you're going to have some goofy games. We'll see them where both teams score in the 10th and both teams score in the 11th. You know, it's just – we're still going to have some long, goofy games where, you know, it's like some of these four-overtime college football games. All right. We're going to end it on that. Good stuff from you guys. Uh, great as we narrow it down. Two weeks to go until opening day. This has been the Pipeline Podcast. For Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo, I'm Tim McMaster. Tune in again next time. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.